0: The rifle is the first weapon you learn how to use, because it lets you keep
1: your distance from the client. The closer you get to being a pro, the closer you can get to the client. The knife, for example, is the last thing you learn. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode 141, and our movie this week was Leon the Professional from 1994. And joining me to talk about it because, well, he'd never seen it before, is Sean from the Cheap Seats Reviews. Sean, how you doing?
0: I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. This is great.
1: Thanks for coming on. So you had never seen Leon before. Um, you were familiar with it, at least, kind of in the in sort of pop culture.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen uh, a handful of the uh, John luc Bisson movies, and just somehow I just I missed it. I'm not sure uh, how or why, but I just missed it, and it was just one of those where, honestly, it was one of those where. Um. after a while, it was like, well, I'll get to it eventually. And then once I started my podcast, almost eight years ago, I thought, well, we'll just do it for the podcast one day.
1: Why watch it (laughs) ahead of time? And it just never made the list. Well, there you go. Uh, So yeah, it is is 1994, uh, written and directed by Luc Besson, starring Jean Reno, uh, Natalie Portman in her very first film, and Gary Oldman. Um, And it's about uh, a young girl who befriends a cleaner or a hitman and, uh, after her family is killed. And honestly, it is a, it's not a complicated plot, uh, which I appreciate in it because there's a lot going on in this movie. There's a lot of things to sort of unpack, uh, especially over the years as we've learned more and more about Luke Basson um, and sort of gotten a better, it's tricky. Like that subject is going to be a little bit tricky and I don't want to go too far into it. Um, but I do want to start with casting and with the characters. Uh, Jean Renault plays um, Leon, who is a cleaner, is what he calls himself. Um, he works for uh, a guy that uh, lives in an Italian restaurant named Tony, played by Danny Aiello. I like how Tony never leaves the restaurant. I thought that was a fun little moment where he's just like, I never leave except to go from here to there. Um, and that's the only place we ever see him. Um. But Leon uh, is actually based on a character from another Luc Besson film, La Femme Nikita, where uh, Jean Reno played a cleaner named, I think it's Victor or Vincent. I can't remember now. Um, but he, he played, it was a, essentially the same character. From what I understand, this movie was made sort of when Besson was in a holding pattern with um, The Fifth Element. He, was, he had been working on The Fifth Element script, but uh, Bruce Willis wasn't available because of scheduling conflicts. So rather than not do anything, he wrote this and the the trivia goes that he wrote it in 30 days and then they shot in 90 days um, for this movie. The funny thing is this is considered by a lot of people, his best movie. And it was sort of an afterthought. It was kind of a, well, I got some free time. I might as well bang out a movie while I've got, you know, people available. Um, it's, it's a good movie. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I'm hoping that you did as well. Um, you didn't come in kind of fire and brimstone, so it sounds like you might have at least enjoyed it. What do you think of it as a movie? I guess let's start there.
0: Sure. So kind of my initial thoughts, first impressions of it was, uh, this is a very 90s-ass movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, uh, it has a lot of the fun 90s tropes. Um, I think what makes this movie special and fun is the performances from the actors because, like you said, the script is pretty simple. You know, it's a a hit-gone-wrong kind of a thing Um, and there's a loose end in the girl uh, and she wants a little bit of revenge and and meets up with the one person that can help her get there. And, uh, yeah, all the other kind of strange relationship stuff aside, this was just a nineties ass movie and I had a really good time with it. It was fun. I I, I wish Gary Oldman was on screen more.
1: Yes. Um yes. Um and I, I definitely want to dive into Gary Oldman in general and him in this movie uh more in depth. Um one thing I do want to mention, because you you're you're right. It is a very nineties ass action movie. Like it is it is. And part of that is that this movie influenced a lot of mid to late 90s and early 2000s action movies, whether they were written by Bassan or produced by him or just people that were influenced by his style. Um, and this was kind of the movie, uh, a one of the movies that really set that tone because, it again, simple story. Leon lives in an apartment. There happens to be a girl who lives down the hall from him um, that they must have had interactions before this movie because they seem to be familiar with each other, at least, when yeah. when he comes home and she's sitting there smoking and just outside of her apartment. She's 11, years, 11, 12 years old and she's sitting out in the hallway smoking. Um, and she's played by Natalie Portman, uh, who was 11, 12 years old when they filmed this. Uh, apparently beat out like 2,000 other actresses who were auditioning for that role. And she's in... They do spend a little bit of time and in some ways kind of too much time with her family. Um, I didn't I didn't dislike that part, but it sort of felt like filler to me to have as much time as was as was spent with her not getting along with her family, and not enough time with like her brother on screen, her little brother, which is her emotional tie. So while it didn't feel flat because obviously he's only four years old. Every every other interaction with every other member of that family for her is super negative. Yeah. So you know, and and that kind of stuff is is always rough to watch. Anyway, when a child is getting treated that poorly by her dad, I mean, her dad comes out, sees her sitting outside in the hallway after he has a, a rough interaction, which we'll talk about. You know, he, he you, she's got bruises on her face. He's smacking her around. The mom doesn't care whatsoever. Um, so she's she's from a rough home anyway, um, but. It. Her dad is a like a drug, kind of a holder, almost almost a mule, but he doesn't transport it. He just kind of holds on to it for somebody. One of the things I did like that this movie did that I thought was really cool was everything is set up at the beginning to make you think uh, that um, Stansfield or, or, or Gary Oldman's character is a criminal. And he works right. for a criminal underworld. And, you know, that's it, like everything points you in that direction until... The, the reveal that he's not, and he's in fact a DEA agent. I like that because it's just a, it's a good turn. It's a good twist without it having to be like coming out of complete left field. Um, And it just adds that extra layer now to what, what is going on. And I think that's something that Bassan actually does pretty well with his stories, which is to take a very simple, simplified plot line and then add a few layers onto it, either with interesting characters or developments like that. So that's something I think he does quite well.
0: I, yeah, the the, the cop part just completely threw me for a loop because <laughs> because when you have, essentially, you have outlaws, right? Leon the Professional is an outlaw. So mm-hmm. when you have an outlaw attacking another outlaw, you're kind of out of the world of normalcy, right? So... So it's fine, right? But when you add in the fact that he's a cop, now he's got you know the the weight of the police force on his side. Even though it's even though it feels pretty obvious that you know uh, internal affairs thinks he's there's something wrong with him.
1: Oh sure, internal affairs would have a field day with that dude and his entire crew, like. Um... Yeah,
0: and yeah, exactly. And I was never quite sure if some of the other dudes that were hanging around were actual agents or they were just like paid informants that the agency just knew like these are guys, they're not really cops, but they're allowed to hang around because they're, you know, street You know what I'm saying? Like yep. the dude, the, the white dude with the dreads, like there's no way that guy passed any kind of, uh, uh, exam to become a field agent or an operative for the federal government. Like that's not a thing that would ever happen.
1: Well, in, in our world, yes. But in the world of Luke Basson's New York, I buy it because he's sort of, it's the trope of like the deep undercover characters. Um, even though he's then seen wandering around the DEA building later on. So it's like, okay, yeah. he's apparently not undercover. He just is the most relaxed government agent there has ever existed. Um, but you're right. Like it's, it, and it's, it's f- kind of neat the way that they go about that because this does feel, it's meant to feel like our world, but it's sort of this hyper realized version of it that only exists inside the mind of somebody like Luke Basson. that you can have this DEA agent who clearly is off the rails and way out where the buses don't run, but the cops listen to him. Because when he says to bring everyone, they bring the whole damn NYPD. Um, yeah. All the SWAT teams. Like, it's, it's ridiculous, but because it fits with sort of the tone that the movie has set, you just buy it. You don't really yeah. think about it too hard, which I'm fine with. Um, now, Leon is a cool character just because you know so little about him. Um, and then that mystery adds layers to it because he sort of Jean Renault played him almost, uh, a little slow, uh, especially emotionally stunted. It felt like, like he didn't, he didn't have people skills. Um, he was, he was not unintelligent.
0: He, yeah, if I I do want to, I'm glad we're here. I really am. I didn't mean to interrupt. I I kind of did mean to go for it. But so, um, So these are the things that I cued in pretty quickly. My wife is a special education teacher. Okay. um, My mom has taught special ed for 40 years. I am in this kind of world, so to speak, and and a little bit more aware of it when I see things. So about five minutes into the of him, not during the hit scene at the beginning, which is a very cool cold open for a movie, by the way. Very good. I love movies, any movie like this, when we have the badass who shows off his badass and we don't really get to see all of it right we just see the result of it you know the guy looks through the window and then pop you know and like i love all those little things but once we get to he has to drink milk every day he has to do the thing every day he has to whatever i start i immediately go he's on the spectrum Mm -hmm. yep this man is autistic and and then i start comparing him to other movies where the hero is autistic and immediately i thought this movie feels like the accountant like if you were going to make this movie today it's the accountant okay yeah yeah yeah. and it has a lot of the same kind of themes and tropes in that and the only difference is is that um leon is not related to gary oldman like that's kind of the main plot point that's different so to speak but there's still a lot of the same kind of plot points.
1: Sure. Absolutely. That's a, that's, I like that you had that realization early on in this movie, because I will say that when I first saw it, I didn't make that kind of a a connection. Um, Just, I just don't have enough exposure into sort of that, uh, that type of thing. So I didn't, but as I've watched it over the years and, and then again, this rewatch, which I haven't seen it in a few years. So um, it wasn't, some things weren't as fresh for me. So as I'm watching it, I'm kind of picking up on that. I'm like, yeah, he does have, you definitely put him on the spectrum somewhere where he's got, he's got his routines he has to do. But when he's dealing with people, like the way all the scenes with him and Tony in the, the restaurant are Tony is very much sort of taking care of him. What I liked was as you watch the movie, you get a different, almost a different feeling with every scene that Tony and him are in. Where, at one point, you're kind of feeling like, like Tony's taking advantage of him, and you know, because he's talking about, oh, I held on to your money for you. It's like a bank, but it's better because it's Tony, and nobody, nobody messes with Tony, type of thing. But he's like, he's keeping his money from him, and you sort of have this feeling of like, okay, is this guy taking advantage of this somewhat simple character who, you know, obviously came over from wherever it was. Um, I believe it's meant to be Italy. When he was young and sort of holding him almost like an indentured servant in a way and, ma- and, and just utilizing his talents as a, as a hitman. But then you have the scene where Stansfield shows up and talks to Tony and that doesn't, we don't get a clear resolution for that scene. But the next time we see Tony, he's all bruised up and he's dealing with Matilda and he's doing exactly what Leon had asked him to do. And that's right. when you sort of get that feeling of like, okay, no, he's not taking advantage of him. He actually did care about him. But he also knew that Leon needed that help. And for me, that was kind of a, a thing this watching that I kind of latched onto and I was like, that's actually got more depth. And I like that a lot more now, sort of looking at it through that lens. Oh, yeah, you're... I
0: agree too. Cause, yeah, because the first time we we meet Tony – and it's, I guess, the first time he's getting the job. Yeah. Um, I guess so that, that there's, there's nothing there. It's just surface level employer-employee relationship. Mm-hmm. But it's when, when money starts getting talked about, and he's like, yeah, yeah, like you said, I'll take care of it for you. There's a, there's a moment in which I thought, hmm, I wonder if Leon's going to have to go after Tony, going to have to turn on Tony That he can get the money that he needs to take care of Matilda. I thought that might be where the movie goes, and like you said, it doesn't. It it actually, you know, he actually kind of does the right thing at the end, which is which is, I mean, the right thing also is he makes Matilda go to school. Yeah. Right. Like in another another movie, she says, "I want to be a cleaner," and he kind of sits and thinks. He goes, "Okay, all right, I'll take you under my tutelage, like I took Leon, and then we'll build up your skill set." And then you know, I'll have a new person.
1: Yep. But yeah, in this exactly. case, he
0: does he does the right thing. He goes, No, here's some money. Go to school. I'll <laughs> see you in a month. I'll give you some more. Well, will whatever. So there's, there's something kind of interesting there.
1: Yeah, like he's Tony's involved in the criminal element and he's involved in all of that stuff, but he's also like he's still a a decent person underneath all of that. And he actually cares about people. He cares enough about this girl because Leon did. And that's, that's really what it is. She's, she is getting that uh, extended to her because of Leon, but Tony's a good enough person to be like, look, a 12 year old has no business being involved in any of this. Go to school, be better than that kind of thing. And I just like that. It, is it a little bit tropey? Well, you could say that, but the, but the reverse trope of it would be what you said, which is he does take her yeah. in. And so that was just that was a thing that I I kind of latched on to and I just really liked seeing that because there's some terrible people in this movie. I mean her her family are none of them are 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 very good except for obviously the the 4-year-old which was sad. Um yeah. and and never a good thing to see in a movie, but it's an immediate way. Look, if you want to have your your villain in a movie immediately be hated by the audience, they kill a small child or a, an animal. An animal. <laughs> One of those two. <laughs> And you immediately hate them now. The interesting thing is she goes after and she wants to go after him for killing his, her brother. And Stansfield is the, is not the one he killed everybody except her brother. He shot her mom or stepmom or whatever, sister and father, which that was a brutal scene too. Um, Yeah. But, uh, but it was, it was uh, dreadlocks. It was Willie, Willie one blood um, is the actor that played him. And he he was the one that actually uh, shoots her little brother. So at least she got to be present when he got his uh, comeuppance. So so that's good for her. But but yeah, like she's been surrounded by people like that for who knows how long um, and has had a harsh enough upbringing that she left the school that her dad was paying tuition to um, just because she didn't want to go because she didn't like anything. She was she had. Leon really showed her a lot and in a short period of time. Um, it's weird. Like it's, they have an, a a very odd relationship. Um, now we've talked about quite a bit, but this is Natalie Portman's first movie. And obviously she's gone on to win an Oscar and be one hell of an actor. But at 11 years old to do the, to do this well in that part is impressive. Because she's equal parts little girl and little girl that's grown up way too fast. Yeah, uh, and impressively too.
0: There's because there are moments in the movie where you know they they dress her like an adult, mm-hmm. right? She's well, uh, at least a sixteen, seventeen, eight year old, eighteen mm-hmm. year old. You know, they're they're kind of making her wear. Kind of, you know, they're kind of showing off her sexuality a little bit, but then there's this really sweet moment where she risks going back to her house so she can get a, a bunny, mm-hmm. and that that's a, a child's re- response, right? Yeah. and and it was a very sweet thing. Of course, she also went back because she knew where some cash was, and so she knew that Leon needed cash. Um, yep. So so yeah, I mean, the it's such a complicated thing between. The twelve-year-old girl, and then the the I'm using air quotes twelve-year-old woman, yeah. right? Because she starts having kind of woman thoughts and ideas, and even really puts the whole mission in peril when she tells the bellhop or the the desk clerk that he's my lover. You know, they're yeah. they're actually lucky that the police didn't show up.
1: It's very uh, true. <laughs> very true.
0: What would happen in 2021? You know, the, the police would be there with social yeah. services and you
1: know. yeah. And even honestly, even in 94, it probably would have been the police too. Um, that's, so that is a subplot that was from what I have read and what I have, uh, kind of seen in sort of searches and, and looking around and, and reading about kind of the making of this movie, the whole subplot of the relationship that Leon and Matilda have, um, evolved drastically over the course of uh from the first draft of the script to the final product in some very uh interesting ways uh from what I read there was an actual scene in the first script where they have a they have sex and that for me as I was reading that bit of trivia I'm like I don't want that to be true because I don't want that part of it at all I get I understand Her as a character trying to be older than she is because of what sort of her home life is like and what her life has been like. Um, but I also like how Leon sort of doesn't grasp that, like he doesn't latch on to that. And he, I don't want that interplay between them. There's a little bit of it, and Natalie Portman has said in, I think it was an interview in 2018 that the movie definitely sexualized her character more than she would have been comfortable with in retrospect, looking back at it, um, which I can completely see. And it is, it's tough to think about. It's tough to talk about that kind of stuff. But I think that the final product of the movie skirts it enough where it's, she doesn't quite understand what's going on with her, with herself and her own feelings. And Leon just doesn't have that in him, but he, their relationship never crosses that line. And I'm glad that it doesn't because it would have been a very, very different movie, and and not really easy. It's it's already aged a little poorly on that end of things, at some at some parts. But then, then you see little Easter eggs or little bits like, uh, you know, she's got a Madonna poster on her uh, wall in her apartment. And so she's obviously seen um, the character has seen like Marilyn Monroe, watches movies, watches cartoons, all this kind of stuff. So that's sort of her idea. She's looking at her sister, her older sister, who's acting the way that she is and constantly thinking about her appearance and the way that her stepmother or her mother dresses, um, influencing her thoughts. So she thinks that's how she has to be. And sort of Leon kind of shows her that she doesn't need to necessarily. It's how I interpret it anyway. Um, but there's some kind of reading some of the script, uh, revisions that I had gone through and stuff like that. I didn't, I didn't like some of those. So I, t- I t- try to <laughs> minimize the thoughts of that when I'm watching this movie. Um,
0: yeah, I didn't know any of that. The honestly, what I, little I knew about the movie beforehand was I knew Natalie Portman was in it. I knew she was young. I knew there was a mentor mentee aspect and I mm-hmm. knew that there was Borderline sexual tension, kind of a thing, um, and that was kind of all I knew about the movie. Um, and I was, um, I expected honestly a little more of the, of the training aspect of the movie. We only get about a four or five minute montage of her, you know, cleaning guns and then cleaning the plants and the windows yeah. and whatever. I was, because even like I, I posted the other day that I watched this movie for this show, and I, the gift that I posted wasn't a scene from the movie. And so I thought, oh, there there must be like a longer version of this movie out there somewhere. Because um, the GIF I posted was like she's holding a pistol and she's yep. like rolling her neck or her head, trying to relax, and he's standing there with the glasses. And I thought, that's not in the movie I just watched. Yeah, so, so there, there is some...
1: Yeah, there there is an uh, an extended cut. It was the international cut, I think is what they called it. Um, it's 26 minutes longer, which is... Considerably longer. Uh, And there are some new scenes in that, including um, there's a scene with Matilda asking Leon to have sex with her and Leon refusing, um, which, again, I'm fine with them cutting that in the theatrical. I don't need that at all. Uh, Leon explaining why he had to leave Italy and go to New York when he was 19. That would have been interesting to hear. Um, A little more backstory on him. Uh, Let's see. Matilda and Leon sleeping in a bed together. Um, but not, not sleeping together, just in the same bed. Um, uh, we
0: kind of get that. We get like a waking up, right? Yes. Like he's on the edge, fully clothed, and she's on the edge, fully clothed, on top of the sheets. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, so that was...
1: Uh, t- 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 Matilda threatening to shoot herself playing Russian roulette. I definitely, that didn't have to be there. That do- also doesn't feel like something she would do. I don't know, yeah, I mean... They have the impulsiveness when she grabs the the handgun at the beginning and just shoots out the window. Um. Oh my
0: gosh! <laughs> Which, by the way, so if you're listening, uh, please don't. You know, I am from the south, so yes, we we literally have guns just you know everywhere. Uh, you know, but um, uh, there's I, I'm also uh, kind of a hyper aware of uh, bad gun discipline in movies, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> and she so she picks the gun up and she fires you know four or five shots outside the window. And then she slams it down on the briefcase and is aimed at him. Mm-hmm. Like the, the barrel is aimed at him. And I thought, oh my God, like we're about to have Pulp Fiction all over again. You know I mean?
1: Yeah. Now that did lead to a moment that does make you laugh a little bit, which is she. he's like, you don't have it in you to do this. And then she grabs the gun, just fires six shots out the window randomly, slams the gun down, smash cut to the two of them just walking down the street with like all their possessions. And him upset with her. Um, you know, it's a it's a funny moment, if a little weird, like it's very dark humor, but it's a funny moment because then yeah. he stops partway like, don't ever do that again.
0: And then he says, and stop saying, OK, <laughs> because she does just say, OK, a lot. There was a moment where I thought that Aaron Sorkin has something to do with this because she does <laughs> say, OK, a lot.
1: Um, let's see what were some of the, uh, so the Russian roulette, Liana Matilda hitting the home of a tattooed drug dealer and setting fire to his supply of drugs. Um, training missions where Matilda learns the ropes of becoming an assassin and Liana Matilda going to a restaurant to celebrate her first hit. So there definitely was more of the training stuff in that version of it because you're right. It is relatively short in this. Um, honestly, in a lot of ways, I, that doesn't bother me because the movie is less about Matilda becoming a cleaner yeah. and more about her desire to be that to get revenge for her brother but Leon sort of he's he's teaching her but he's teaching her just enough in a lot of ways. I don't know. It, I I kind of like what we ended up getting in this movie in terms of like the pacing and what we saw from him and their relationship because he, you know, we get to learn so much about him at the beginning of the movie. We, the cold open you talked about is amazing. It's such a, a well done, almost horror movie type of thing in that cold open where he's, you know, he's taking guys out and you don't even see him. Um, and it's that shot of him where the guy's on the phone and he's breathing heavy and he's trying to back up and then the knife just comes in and then the music, all the sound drops right as the knife yeah. goes to the guy's neck is such an effective moment. And then we get to see Leon not doing the hitman thing where he's just drinking milk, where he's doing his sit ups, where he goes out to a movie um, and he's watching Singing in the Rain. And just that childlike glee and wonderment in his face as he's watching Singing in the Rain. He's like one of two people in the theater. I loved that, so you get to see all this kind of stuff with him, and I feel like the childlike, the the child aspects of Leon and of Matilda match up better than anything adult oriented, whether it's Hitman or or romance, ever do. And so he's, she's sort of bringing some of that out in him, where like they play the game where they're dressing up because he's reluctant to do that until, but then she's like, okay, now it's your turn. And he immediately goes for John Wayne and he's dressing up and trying to like do his impression. And that made me laugh too, because it's so good. Uh, yeah. It's, a, no, such it's a very, it's
0: very cute. It is, it is very fun. And, and to your specific point in earlier talking about kind of her body image and the way she, you know, I mean, the two people she does, well, she does three people, but the two women that she does are both very sexually, um, not just active, but you know, sexualized women in yep. Madonna and Marilyn Monroe, uh, and then of course she does Charlie Chaplin, which was just funny. Yes, because it's it's just funny to think about what twelve year old in ninety four knows about Charlie Chaplin. I'm pretty because she and I are the same age, so mm-hmm. it's hard to think that. Did I know who Charlie Chaplin was in nineteen ninety four when I was twelve? I I doubt it, but
1: even if maybe? you maybe did, you probably weren't like aware that you knew who Charlie Chaplin was. Yeah. I
0: was probably aware of him only in what Bugs Bunny, in, you know, <laughs> like impersonated in the yep. cartoons, you know yep. what I'm saying? Like there's, there's a lot you pick up from those things mm-hmm. as a kid of the nineties, you know, growing up. So I wouldn't have thought of that, but I also wouldn't have thought those other ones either. So,
1: yeah. Well, and, and there's a great kind of balance to her where here, you know, we meet her sitting there smoking, at 11 years old in the hallway of her apartment building. But yet the next time we see her, she's in her apartment and all she wants to do is watch cartoons. And she's upset because her time on the TV is being taken from watching cartoons. Um, There's even that great part where she's watching Transformers and then Leon comes home and she's immediately changing the channel. Like she doesn't want to let it be known that she still likes these childlike things. She's trying to put on a front and a facade of being older and more mature than she is because she thinks that's what she's supposed to do. And she doesn't need to be. And I think that's where by the end of the movie, it she's embracing a little bit more of that by going back to school and, you know, the, uh, the attempt to put down roots by taking the plant and putting it in the ground, even though that plant probably won't live through the year because <laughs> it's yeah. probably like a tropical plant or something. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, the first time that the uh, the lawn care guy mows <laughs> the grass, he doesn't see it, and it
1: just rolls right over it. Um, yeah. but yeah, I I just her performance was so good though. Like, yeah. it's amazing to think this is a first time on film actor, in Natalie yeah. Portman at eleven years old, t- twelve years old, because boy does she she brings out just all the emotions. There's anger. There's, there's all the sadness that she feels, but also, um, and, and she does it in such a believable way for me. And I think that's what really kind of sells it because her Jean Renault, who we've talked about. And then Gary Oldman also brought it for this movie. Um, and you said earlier, you wish he had been on screen more. I'm with you. Uh, but, but when he's on screen, he's commanding your presence. Um, yeah. From the first time we see him too, that whole scene in the hallway with her dad, which had a great one. So this is a piece of trivia that I found during the scene where Stansfield interrogates Matilda's father, um, where he's like sniffing on him and smelling him and he gets super, super close. That's a great scene because it makes you uncomfortable to watch because of that proximity. Right. He's just getting right up in the guy's face and, uh, you know, forehead to forehead, all that kind of stuff. It's so effective and so well done. That was not... Michael Badalucco did not know that was going to happen.
0: <laughs> it, it felt like, when, when I was watching it, it felt like an improv moment because the, the guy looked so uncomfortable that it was happening to him. That it, it, you know, I was watching thinking, Gary Oldman's off script. He's just doing <laughs> something weird. Like He just looked to the director and said, keep rolling, I'm going to do some weird stuff here. And just went for it. And I, I, I
1: love it. Yeah. According to Badaluco, he had no idea Gary Oldman was going to smell him, nor that he was going to get as close as he did. Badaluco says that in the film, his look of discomfort during the scene is completely genuine because he was yeah. decidedly intimidated by Gary Oldman. Yeah. It's so. And that's such a good moment because it immediately, immediately makes you uncomfortable with this character already. He doesn't, he barely has to say a word and you, you just feel like you can't be comfortable around him and it sets him up perfectly for the rest of the movie. And that wasn't the only thing that he ad-libbed either. The, uh, the Beethoven thing was apparently ad-libbed the the whole, like, you know, oh, he's got these great overtures, but after that he gets boring. Um, and also, uh, the, the famous and one of the most famous things, uh, from this movie, the everyone line, (laughs) which... Uh, it, according to Gary Oldman is one of the things that people quote to him on the street the most, obviously because you're yeah. just going to yell it at him. That was, and I love this. And again, it's all this is all trivia you find on the internet, so take it with a grain of salt. But I want this one to be true, with Gary Oldman saying that he did that as a way to make Luke Basson laugh because the he had done a take and he had done it normally, and then he really quickly told the sound guy, "Take your headphones off." <laughs> And did the next one and just yelled it out like that and Besson loved it and put it in the movie.
0: <laughs> and it's... Nice.
1: That again, though, it's like it fits that character so well that it works perfectly because he's... Yeah. He, he he Like, Stansfield wants to be in control, but he's not at all. He's completely out of control. Um, well,
0: the part that I really like, and again, it's it takes the trope and flips it, which is really cool. So when we first meet Stansfield... He is not introduced to us as the boss, right? The 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 guy with the black hair who comes. Oh, yeah. in, they're, they're chatting. Stansfield is kind of uh, presented as the muscle, right? He is mm-hmm. just there to ensure things go smoothly, right? He uh, he reminds me of this is a really bad movie, all um, but it's a it's a Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis and yep. Christopher Walken, and Christopher Walken is like the big scary hitman for the Chicago mob, right? Yeah. And, and like, all he is there to do is just be the muscle. Right. And so then when it, but then you find out that he's actually the boss. Yeah. Got, that was really interesting. I thought that was a really cool flip. It's like, Oh wow. He's, he's the guy. Um, but they're kind of portraying it as if he's the, uh, he's the, the, the watchdog. That, but once you let him off the leash and like the pill thing is oh, kind yeah. of like the symbolic he's being let off the leash. And I also like the fact that the movie doesn't tell me what that is.
1: No, no, it's a drug it's, of some kind, but we don't know what, or, or the drug that he
0: can take as a DEA agent, yep. who obviously isn't <laughs> subjected to random drug tests. That is, it's just something that he takes that gives him a, an, an incredible rush so that when he's about to murder, um, he, he, gets more of this sensation. He gets more joy from, from the act. Um, and, oh, man, yeah. I tell you what, it,
1: talk about just a despicable character and and they just lay that on over and over, whether it is him kicking the door in and just without question shooting at the the daughter, the young girl who's running away. She gets away. She doesn't get shot the first time, but he doesn't even hesitate. So they're there. He comes in firing and then calms down and says, hey, we, we said we'd be here at noon. I'm a minute past. Now we're going to talk. So he does this, uh, again, very kind of Beethoven thing, right? Huge overture. Big, big, bombastic thing. And then he calms it right down. But then he has no problem after that when he, when he does finally kill the dad. That's rough because he hit him twice and he's down and then he unloads the rest of his revolver into him in the hallway because all yeah. because his his suit jacket got shot and grazed yeah. and then he's unloading it to load it back up to shoot him more and his his guy yeah. is like he's dead stop yeah. you can't kill him anymore but he was he was prepared to just keep going and then later on when matilda goes to the building and he he you know figures out what's going like he's a step ahead of her confronts her in the bathroom and that whole scene is so nerve-wracking because he is very calm but very intimidating and in in a way he is intimidating on a level that would be for a full-grown adult talking about like you know do you, are you prepared or are you afraid of dying you know, I don't take pleasure in taking the life of somebody who doesn't care about it to an 11 year old girl yeah. like a child, and he's talking like this to her. It's just, oh, it just gives you chills. He's just a terrible, terrible person, which is why his death scene is so cathartic. <laughs> so <good. laughs> yeah, and um, it, 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 we'll talk about that one, but it's one of my favorite moments in this entire movie. Um, but his, his performance is just, I mean. Look, Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman is Gary Oldman. He's a chameleon. He yeah. can just disappear into these roles, but he's so good in it. And I guess the- one other thing I just want to say is he's not like a method actor. He's not one of these people who stays in character on set all the time. And from what I understood in this movie, especially, he would be crazy and evil and nasty. And then as soon as they yelled cut, he's just like, Gary Oldman, I'm, you know, friendly, friendly guy. And it's like, yeah. oh man, that's just that's a that's a skill that you you just develop to be able to flip it like that and switch because he does. You would think he would be a Daniel Day Lewis, right? Just diving into the role and constantly being that, and he's not. And that's impressive.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is, uh, and a credit to to him and his craft. And I, yeah, I so. Um, I've worked on a handful of on um, t v shows and films and things like that all mm-hmm. low budget stuff that no one listening has ever heard of sure um but uh and I've worked with a couple of dudes that were method actors and they they had to be in character from the moment they stepped on set to the moment that they stepped off set and It was just such a challenge working with them because it's like okay. I know that your character is a douchebag, but like you don't have to be mean to the sound guy, right like right let's can you can still treat me with some courtesy right let's, <laughs> it was there was there was a couple of moments well I mean literally like the main guy is just being like it's a dinner scene he's he's supposed to be breaking up with the girl, it's supposed to be like he's really douchey, and then he's like, "Hey, sound guy, you need to come fix my mic <laughs> and the one of the other main actors who was a co-producer from the show said tim his name is sean don't be a douche (laughs) and like 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 in front of the rest of the crew and so for the rest of the of the shooting i didn't call him tim that was his name i only referred to him as either mr woodward or actor you know like you're just gonna call me sound guy i'm just gonna call you actor so i would say hey actor i need you to come over here i gotta adjust your mic pack and uh
1: and and honestly like if you're working on a film, you want to work with people like Gary Oldman who can go into that character, but then come out of it. And they like, not everyone can do that. And I get that. Like it takes a certain level of ability and, and skill and refinement to be able to find the, the way to emote and be this character, but not have to be that all the time. And for some people being that method actor, that's how they can do it. But I just love that Gary Oldman is, by all accounts, one of the nicest people you ever meet. But man, do you not want to meet him as as Stansfield? Because holy hell, that dude is just scary.
0: Well, my my first meeting of him is as Zorg from The Fifth Element. <laughs> That's my, you know, again, that was my sure Besson, uh, my introduction to him, and I and I love that movie. I love The Fifth Element unabashedly. Mm. I love it. It's it's one of the movies. Um, one of the few movies that I own on multiple mediums, right? Like sure. I had it on VHS and then I bought it. I almost, so here's a weird little bit of trivia. You remember in the war between, um, Blu-ray and HD DVD. Yeah. Uh, we hadn't decided yet. Kind of mm-hmm. like beta versus VCR VHS. Yeah. Uh, kids ask your parents, um, um, HD DVD. Their first movie was the fifth element.
1: Yep. I remember that.
0: And, and I almost bought one because I thought, well, I want to have this movie. But I also had a feeling, and that was also through some people that I knew, that the Blu-ray was going to win uh, mostly because uh, uh, it was backed by Panasonic and Sony. Yeah. So you could buy a PS3 with a Blu-ray player in it. So, like, Sony was flooding the market with Blu-ray players. And that was sure. one of the main reasons why that won. Um, but anyway, my point was is that I, I love the fifth element. And so seeing Zorg, you know, this character, and then I think the next movie I saw him in, he was Dr. Smith in the Lost in Space film oh, adaptation. Yeah. And so honestly, to me, he's always a bad guy, right? So what I, what was so brilliant about his casting as Sirius Black in Harry Potter 3 is the first time you see his face, I'm like, oh, he's the bad guy. Right. Because he only plays bad guys. Um so well, it'll he, be
1: uh, my. Yeah. I mean, you look at what he did in the 90s with True Romance as Drexel Spivey. And then he does this movie the next year. And he does the um, fifth element Air Force One. He's the villain oh, in. Oh, Air Mac. Force One. Yeah, L- yeah. Lost in Space. Uh, he's the villain in Quest for Camelot in the voice acting role as uh, as Ruber. Um, you know, he was. He was. At, uh, even. Even Shelley Runyon in The Contender or Mason Verger in Hannibal are, are smaller kind of side roles, but he's he's still antagonistic in all of those. He's so good at that. But to then be able to play Jim Gordon in Sirius Black and these other characters and be good, good characters, it just is a testament to how good that guy is. And it's amazing to think that the same person that gives this, uh, you know, these these subtle and uh, like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, where it's a very subtle uh, performance, or um, you know whatever whatever it is that he's doing, it's the same dude that screamed "Bring Me Everyone" in this movie, and is just like <laughs> yeah. he's at a twelve on a scale of ten in this movie. He's so yeah. out there and over the top, um, and I loved every second of it. You're right; he need he needed to be on screen more, but he was also on screen like the right amount of time.
0: He was. Um, it it might have become. He might have been turned into a cartoon character if he's on screen probably too much, oh, um, yeah, he was like
1: had... half a scene away from full blown cartoon character as it was, yeah, like
0: yeah, one of the worst villains I've seen in a movie recently was a movie called Polar that was on it was a Netflix original. Okay. Um, with Mads Mickelson is the is the lead. Like it's it's kind of like Red, right? He's like a retired hitman. Okay. He just wants to kind of live out his days, but the company doesn't want to. They he they want to retire him, so they send a team after him. Sure. And the dude that's the main villain is the most cartoon <laughs> ridiculous. Like, um, I, I made a point. We recovered. We reviewed it for our show, and my point is always in movies where you have a bad guy who is the boss, right? the guy is the, the reason why the bad guy boss is the boss is because of one of two things and it could be a combination of both either he's smarter than everyone mm-hmm. or he's more vicious than everyone right. or a combination of both but you don't you don't you don't become a crime boss by being stupid or not crazy or not vicious right and in in that movie he was kind of neither he was a little <laughs> insane but he didn't he didn't act like a person that could possibly have ever been a crime boss. Uh, um, And I think the movie basically explains because he's, it's based on a comic book, okay. you know, but like, like his dad was the, the creator of the, of the institution or whatever. And so he just inherited it. But gotcha. um,
1: Yeah. Anyway. Well, and that's the thing weird. Yeah. But that's the thing with Stansfield is, is he is smart and he understands, but, and ruthless. Um, and, and his delivery his delivery of the line and the thing that, that first kind of makes you really confused because at this point we don't know that he's a DEA agent is the cops are coming. All right, let's get out of here. You stay. And he tells Willie. Stay. And then Willie's like, well, what am I supposed to tell them? And he just leans forward through that beaded kind of curtain and just says, tell them we were doing our job. And like, if you don't know the twist that he's a DEA agent... That's such a weird thing for this guy to say. So,
0: Which I didn't. Again, I didn't. So yeah. I, I thought that that meant that, oh my gosh, this organization, <laughs> this crime family he works for is so powerful mm-hmm. that when the police show up, they're going to see him and he's going to go, Dansfield's head says we were here doing our job. Then they're just going to go, okay. Then they're just going to chalk this up as they'll just write it up in the paper as a drug bust gone wrong. Yeah, You know, like like that's what I thought, honestly, what that meant was that, you know, like, you know, like in kind of comic book movies uh, where the villain is so powerful. Like I think of the Daredevil series with Kingpin. Right. Yeah. He gets before he gets taken down. He's like so powerful. It almost feels like he has enough police on the payroll that if the right cop shows up to the crime scene, Mm -hmm. then all he has to say is this was us. And that cop just goes, okay, and then tells the rest of his buddies this was just a drug bust gone bad or something or a a drug deal gone bad. Yeah. So that's what I thought that meant. So when the, when the, when you find out that he is what he is, it's like, Oh my gosh, that's actually such a cool twist.
1: Yeah. I love that a lot. And, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, but, uh, but the, that final scene with Stansfield and Leon is so well set up because Stansfield sees him sitting there with the medic which again, really, really smart way to get out of that whole situation. That that action sequence where they're blowing the hell out of that uh, that apartment, that hotel room. Which, by the way, I mean, if we're going to talk about over the top, it doesn't get much more over the top than that. Like they're, they're shooting rockets into the damn thing.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. I um, literally have a note that says, "Good Lord, why does the police have a fifty caliber?" I mean, <laughs> oh, it's it's, it's insane.
1: It's, it's so, and, and again, that's like Luke Besson world, right? Like that doesn't exist in our reality, but in this reality it does. Um, but then Leon has the, the thought to dress himself up and put on the gas mask, knowing they're going to fire gas in at him and get out as an injured cop. And, and then Stansfield sees him getting worked on and knows, okay, I can't do anything right now. Like you can see the wheels turning in his head. where like, I can't make my move now. So he hangs back and then he waits. And as that scene is unfolding and you're seeing Leon and he's getting closer and closer to the door to get outside, you know, you know something's going to happen. And then it's just that reveal of Stansfield behind him. And I love, love the way that um, they captured the moment of him getting shot because you don't see it. You're seeing everything from Leon's perspective and it's just a flash of white and then he starts to go down. And I was like, "That it's just, just such a, a different and beautiful way to to frame that and visually display that to us. Um, and then, of course, Leon gets the last laugh in the best way possible.
0: Well, because it, it goes back to the arrogance of Stansfield, right? Yep. He, he thinks he's invincible. So not only have I popped this guy in the back and I've won, I now have to gloat, right? I have yep. to stand over him and get really close and and I at the point in the movie when he does that, I know, oh, this is how Leon's gonna get him. It's just how? Yeah. Like like what is he gonna do to do the thing? And so when he handed him the the present from Matilda and and you don't see what it is, you know, part of me was like, Oh, I know what that's gonna be. <laughs> so when he opens it up and he sees that it's the the grenade pin and then he pulls his vest open and sees that it's not this he has one grenade, he has like six. Yep. And then it cuts out to the outside and that explosion, like, good Lord. Like, was he carrying napalm grenades? I mean,
1: yeah, I like, I absolutely love where he pulls the vest open and just the reaction is perfect. Just, Oh shit. And then, then you cut outside and you're right. Those are like the biggest damn grenades I've ever seen full of ever. Apparently both, uh, both Leon and Stansfield actually don't have blood. They're, they're, it's gasoline pouring through their veins.
0: Sure, they're made out of explodium. Sure.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, but, oh, just such a, such a satisfying villain death.
0: Sure. Of like a villain well, that I you mean, don't, you, you, you don't want him to
1: live at all.
0: Um, the, the only other way I kind of thought it was going to happen was, was it was going to be, I, I thought honestly where it was going to be a moment where he's leaning over him and he's looking at Leon and then Leon, who's on his back, kind of looks up. And then there's Natalie Portman standing there with a gun in her hand. And then she gets to pop him.
1: So um, there that was... That was kind of what I
0: thought was going to happen, but...
1: Yeah, I don't know if it was ever shot or if it was just in the script that that there was a moment where that kind of is how it played out, that she got the the kill on him, whether it was grenades or a gun or something. And they ended up not going that way because it didn't feel right for her character's arc. And I kind of get that. And I actually like that they didn't cause you're right. They could have gone that way and I could totally see that happening. Um, but if you're not going to have her and maybe if she's older, maybe if she's like 17, 18 years old, I could, I could see that working more than the 11, 12 year old version. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I could see that happening. I'm glad they didn't go that way. I think it's more satisfying to let Leon be the one to do it and, and her to kind of not have that on her conscience because she doesn't ever end up, even though she wants to kill people, um, uh, as a cleaner, she never gets to, she never does. And I prefer it that way, uh, personally, yeah. just from, from her kind of character growth. Um, and then I like that, <coughs> pardon me. I like that the next scene we see with her is where she's with Tony meeting, kind of meeting Tony for the first time, really. Um, and all that stuff we talked about earlier, Where to, you know, you get to kind of learn a little bit more about Tony. And it, again, it's done in that shorthand way of like, all you do is you see Tony and he's got bruising and like a black eye. And that's how you know that, yes, he gave up where, uh, Leon was and Matilda, but he didn't do it uh, willingly, and he certainly didn't do it easily. Um, And I like that. Uh, But Stansfield also kind of knows enough not to, like, kill him because then you're going to have, you know, the entire of the the mob after you. You might be DAA Stansfield, but, uh, you know, not every – Yeah, yeah, that's that's a war you don't necessarily need.
0: And frankly, (laughs) because he even says – you've killed people we needed killing, you know, like, so like they have a relationship. So I guess the relationship only goes so far. Um, nothing like a few broken, you know, eye bones or whatever. Right. Between friends.
1: Uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a fun movie. I have a few clips from it. I kind of want to play because there's not a ton of like great one liners necessarily. Uh, and like, obviously the action scenes are just loud. Um, but uh, there's a bunch of Stansfield lines that um, stand out to me. Uh, there was Beethoven. Um,
0: okay. You don't like Beethoven.
1: You don't like Beethoven. Like The first thing he says to the dad after he's kicked in the door, shot his daughter, shot his wife in the bathtub, and then walks into the room. And by the way, that entrance into the room is great, where he comes in and sort of parts the bead curtain and walks in. Like It's, it's framed really well. And that's the first thing he says to the dad is just,
0: You don't like Beethoven
1: like what?
0: Yeah, one I like the way he says it cuz cuz we say Beethoven, right? Yeah. But I like the way he says it. I, I will say this. I thought and and knowing that it's an ad-lib ad-lib line it doesn't really matter, but I would have liked for them to be playing for us the audience Beethoven during the scene. It would have been such a unique um you know, like play Ode to Joy while he's murdering people. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I think it would have been kind of neat to have this this moment and again that's that's oh, it's you know it's free domain right that's public domain music. He they they could have, you know, got the rights to that. Sure. and, and maybe they or maybe they couldn't, I, I don't know, but it it would have just been kind of this neat moment to have the 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 score actually playing something that is significant like people recognize as Beethoven. Yeah. Uh, but I could maybe see that. Yeah, but then also maybe you know the director thought people might not get it. You
1: know, either that or they'll... yeah, either that or maybe he thinks it's a little little bit on the nose to have that juxtaposition. Although sure. this would have been I don't know that we saw a lot of that. I've seen it since then, kind of the the whole idea of like uh very uh calming or or angelic music while terrible things are going on around it. Um, yeah. But I I don't know how much of that I saw pre ninety four. So, but you're right. Yeah. That would have been interesting, especially because he specifically mentions Beethoven uh, a couple of times.
0: It it also doesn't help that the day before, uh, no, actually yesterday. So as we record this, yesterday I finished last episode of Squid Game, ah. and every episode of Squid Game has this. You know, it's either the Blue Danube or it's um, it's a lot of this very calming you know baroque style classical music or, or i guess classical age classical music which is just like really weird over the over the setting of what's happening in the, in right. the show uh very discordant so I, I that's what made me think about maybe this time i was like oh I would have been kind of neat if they had done that i will sure. say before you play your next clip mm-hmm. the, the film score and i don't know if we're going to get into it specifically the score but the score reminded me a lot of goldeneye
1: well it should it's the same composer. The same guy? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he went on to do Goldeneye the next year, and then uh, I think he did the music for Fifth Element, too. Was, uh, uh...
0: Yeah, I can definitely see the Fifth Element part, and mm-hmm. I thought, I, I had a feeling that it was the same guy, but that's why I wrote Goldeneye, because it really reminded me of the, the attack on the, the dam yep. that they do at the beginning of the movie, that, 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 that a very specific sound, it's hard to...
1: Yeah, Eric Serra was the um, composer. And, yep, he did the music for Goldeneye, Fifth Element, uh, this movie. And I'll tell you, the moment in the movie that reminded me... that reminds me the most of, like, either the Fifth Element in this movie or this movie in the Fifth Element is the music and... uh, So the the combination of the music that's playing and Matilda at the door with the groceries asking him to let her in Mm. is almost the exact same feeling as uh lilu in the back of the cab asking for asking help. asking for help yeah it's it's that exact same emotional beats and the way the yeah. music plays with it and the way the performance of the actress is um it just totally totally fits that so yeah eric yeah, Sarah. I, so that's funny that you mentioned goldeneye though that's that's a great catch just yeah. because like it was him
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny and, and i i, I I have to say this because it's just one of those funny things. Again, I, uh, I was a music, uh, major, uh, film scores are a big part of my life. I listen mm-hmm. to film scores more than kind of popular music. So I'm, I'm inundated in it. I don't know this guy's uh, repertoire as much as maybe I should, but mm-hmm. it, there is these kind of moments where like, I'll, I'll, I'll cue in on something like that. I'm like, Hey, that sounds like such an else, something else. So like very specifically, um, I did another podcast recently where we watched, um, um, Highlander. Yeah. Uh, the first one. And it was my first time watching Highlander also. It was one of the reasons why I was on that episode. It was It was, okay. it was my first time. And I'm listening to it and I made a comment in the show saying, boy, they owe... Um, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves owes this movie money because they 100% <laughs> ripped off stuff. And then during the episode, I did a search on IMDb and I was like, oh, that's Michael Kamen. It's the same dude. <laughs> so It's always funny how it,
1: that happens because you don't yeah. think about it. Like, you're not going to make the connection that the professional, this, this smaller, uh, French production and, and James Golden Bond eye. would have the yeah. same composer. Like, but Eric Sarah has a style. Um, and, and it definitely, especially this era, you definitely felt that, but yeah, it, yeah. It, that's not a combination you would make. It's like Highlander and Robin Hood. I'm not necessarily yeah. going to assume that you're going to have the same guy, uh, same person doing both the soundtracks, but,
0: there well, was. and just the fact that it was, I mean, like, like specifically, like when we said, yeah, the fi- he did the fifth element. Well, that makes sense. Same director, same composer. You right. get that a lot in Hollywood where oh, sure. a director matches with a composer, you know, Spielberg and Williams,
1: uh-huh.
0: um, Sam Raimi and Danny Elfman, Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. Like, yep. you know, you get these pairings that you're kind of used to. So the fact that they have done a handful of other things together makes total sense. Yeah. But you're right. The fact that I was like, God, that sounds like Goldeneye. <laughs> that just seems like a, you know what I'm saying? Just because the last, what, four Golden Eyes were done by, oh, no, it wasn't Giacchino. Oh, gosh, who did the last, or the last four uh, Bonds. Oh, yeah, bonds. I know
1: who you're talking about. I can't think of the name right now. Um,
0: but it's, you know, it's like, oh, this guy's got, like, a big pedigree. Yep. Well, not that this guy, Eric Serra, didn't have a, but, I mean, in fairness, before he did GoldenEye, he'd only done...
1: I mean he'd done seven
0: eight movies. Yeah, you and know? a lot of
1: them were smaller. Uh, you know, he's worked with Basan in Nikita, Leon, uh, Fifth Element. Um Wasabi isn't a Luke Bassan film, but Luke Bassan wrote it. Sure. Um, and Eric Serra did that music as well. Um but yeah, it's just that's funny that, that you made that connection. I love that. Um And I also liked uh the use of Bjork in this in the soundtrack during the montage. That was a, a cool song to use. Sure. I didn't care I didn't I didn't I wasn't a huge fan of Sting. I'm not really so having him over the end credits was like meh but uh, but Bjork for whatever yeah. reason that song was just cool it had like a cool it had that, that mid-90s weird kind of vibe to it and it fit for me. Um so a few more clips I've got. Uh mm-hmm. again, a lot of Stansfield stuff. Um there was this one here. I like these calm little moments before the storm that dude's not all there he's unhinged yeah <laughs> um and uh you got i'm dying to meet him just oh just a great delivery um i had uh tell them we were doing our job oh okay all right sure it's sure boss so
0: creepy when he when he whispers it you know it's just yeah uh
1: this was, this was the one in the bathroom when he's talking to Matilda. I take no pleasure in taking life if it's from a person who doesn't care about it. Just oof. Boy, that's a sociopath of ever I've heard one. Um, yeah, right.
0: I would bet it would be hard to work for him.
1: Oh, I'm if sure. Be... I'm sure. Right. I mean, I, I mean, this is the guy who had this reaction.
0: What are you doing? He's dead. Let him ruin my suit.
1: <laughs> As he's trying to reload his revolver to shoot the I, I, dead guy more. Which is also just,
0: it just shows how kind of crazy he is, and he doesn't care about the rules, because eventually when when they run ballistics on, on the weapon, like on the on the, this dead guy, they're going to go, wow, this guy was shot four times in the back by the same guy, <laughs> three times post-mortem. Like,
1: mm-hmm just anyway yeah um Um, of course when he when he opens the vest and reveals all of the grenades it's just shit (laughs) yeah and then boom and yeah yeah i would be remiss if i didn't cat if i didn't capture this you know what it's gonna be so be ready for it it's gonna be it's gonna be a little loud everybody bring me everyone what do you mean Um. everyone Oh god, the echo in that everything. Oh. So
0: what had happened? It's so funny because I've heard that clip mm-hmm. so many times in you know like video game memes and like oh, yeah. other videos and some of the sh- the podcasts that you and I have listened to together. And so what had happened in the movie? It was like this comforting moment where I was like, <laughs> oh, I know what this is from now. You know, it's like when you finally see the meme or hear the thing where you oh that's what this is from yes it was, it was so great it was it was it was very fun
1: you're doing the leo DiCaprio from uh, once upon a time in hollywood you're pointing at the screen like oh it's that's the thing it's there yeah, that's I'm the snapping one in the, Yeah. yeah <laughs> uh, I, I got a couple non-stansfield clips i gotta play because that cold open we talked about it already but that cold open is so good like it's almost... I mean, it's obviously disconnected from most everything else. The only connection is that he got the job from Tony, um, and it's dealing with killing drug dealers. But it it's such a good self-contained... Like, you could have put that out as just a short, and it would have been worth watching. Uh, but I love when when the, the guy uh, named Tonto gets on the, the walkie-talkie, calls him up, and he's like, well, What does he look like? What's he look like? Serious. <laughs> it's yeah. serious, and and the guy takes that. So when he runs out in the other room, saying, Somebody's serious." <laughs> it's just yeah. I don't know why. I just I I can't help but laugh at that. It's somebody's coming. Somebody's serious. Somebody's really serious. Um, there's the moment where he where he calls nine one one two. Go, but but before I play it, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh,
0: two two quick things. Um, th- there's a joke in there somewhere where he says. Who is he? You know, he goes, oh, he's serious. Like, no, no, that's that's Stansfield. This is not serious. <laughs> but the other thing that was really funny in that scene where so there was the dude in the closet with the TV, right? So he's mm-hmm. on a, a, a closed circuit TV with just one camera, seems yep. kind of limiting, but whatever. Sure. And when he opens the door and he walks out, the camera kind of pans up a little bit, so we get to see the whole room. And then when he gets uh, he gets hung or pulled over the banister, and then the other guys go in there to get some guns or whatever. I don't know if you noticed this, but I did. There's like five or ten cutouts of bodybuilders, men, <laughs> on the wall, and I thought this is weird. I because I because I, cause in the moment because usually you see like it reminds me of Die Hard, right? When he's when McClane is in yep. the service kind of parts of the, and he sees the naked calendar, yeah, right. Um, I work I, uh, I work at a community college and, and and I work in IT, so I have keys to everything. yeah and I was look literally I was in a building that's attached to our maintenance uh, warehouse. It's just like a huge warehouse that has all the maintenance where they all the carpentry is done and stuff. It's a <laughs> college you, know, you need yeah. this space. And so I was looking for a ladder so I can work on a projector. and so I'm walking through this space and it was a late on you know like four o'clock so everyone's gone. and I walk into the paint shop. And on the paint shop over the table where they, you know, mix the paint and all that stuff, there must have been 50 nude calendars, <laughs> right? Like all of the nude girls had been pulled out, right? Uh-huh. And they were taped to the wall. I mean, there must have been 50 of them. Jeez. And so there was a moment where I was like, should I take a picture <laughs> and show my coworkers and then risk my wife seeing it on my phone and like not, you know, like there was. So I didn't take a picture, but I of course I had to show my coworkers and they uh-huh. all had a good laugh. And then you know, like a month later I went back in there and they were all gone. So obviously somebody's supervisor found out. But mm-hmm. but I just thought it was weird. It was these bodybuilders. It was like like Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilder. These and they're all cut out. Like it's not like it's a whole page with dudes on it. It was like the dude was cut out. It was hmm. so funny.
1: That is interesting. Yeah. Um I love how he He gets caught and he's on the phone, so he calls 911 uh, because that exchange was just great. And I think this is just the very end of it.
0: Sir, I'm going to connect you with an officer. Okay. Detective Jefferson, may I help you? I'll call you back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. no, No, you're not. Nope. Um... What was... I got one other one. It's just labeled go back. I don't remember what that was. Why
0: don't you leave them alone? He said, go back inside.
1: That's right. When, he, when yeah. he fires the gun at the old woman in the hallway. For, yeah. <laughs> again, showing you how unhinged Stansfield is. Like, yeah. <laughs> she was... That was a great little bit part for her because her reaction to it was great. She doesn't flinch and she just looks at the window, looks back at him, and then like turns to walk back inside. Gotta wonder what that building was like. If that oh, didn't yeah, phase no her and all the gunfire right. going off, nobody said a word. Uh, so
0: Yeah, yeah. It it was And I just love the fact that she's she just she can barely move and she just kind of looks over at the glass. All right, you know, it just Yep. That's
1: but New he did York. he did
0: say police, he did say police business, which again just made me think, oh, he's well, at that yeah, uh, at that
1: point you're thinking he's just like telling her what he thinks that she should she would want to hear. Yeah, exactly. And then you find out later on, no, it is actually police, but they're just super corrupt. Um, yeah. It, look, this is a this is a fun, fun, crazy, weird, uh, kind of actiony movie. Um, it's definitely worth watching. It it certainly is, as you put it at the top of the show, very '90s. Um, however, it does have a great. Opening tracking shot coming down over New York and over Central Park, and then they had to they had to have the camera truck and they had to kind of time out the lights so they could do that single tracking shot into the building. Yeah, that was a really cool looking shot. Like this is early on in Luke Besson's career, but you can kind of see some of his visual abilities and his 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 ability to frame a shot and kind of set up something that's really cool looking. Uh, so I dug that quite a bit.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. It was it was a very cool shot and just a um, um I did kind of laugh though <laughs> when 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 the camera is on the camera truck and the camera truck is like in the middle lane and a taxi just says "F you, I'm coming <laughs> over." I don't care if you're moving, filming a movie. Yep. You see the camera truck like swerve out of the way to yeah. to avoid uh, an accident like on camera. And I thought this is this is the '90s version of a dashboard cam, right? You just have a film camera on on top of a truck. It it made me laugh. Well, only maybe I it, shouldn't have. But.
1: Well, no, I mean, you, really, when you think about it, that's only going to happen in New York, right? That's one of those things of filming in New York is like, it's like the thing from Midnight Cowboy where the the car tried to run the light, and the the famous Dustin Hoffman line of "I'm walking here" was ad libbed because he almost got hit by a car.
0: That's funny.
1: So, you know, it's like that kind of stuff just happens when you're filming in New York. Um, yeah. So that's, that's great. Yeah. This is a good movie. Um, take aside kind of some of the stuff we touched on with, uh, with Luke Besson writing and sort of the Matilda character. If you can look at it, I try to look at it as much more of like a mentor mentee relationship between the two of them. Um, and that's sort of how I interpret it. And, and that definitely helps. But it's, it's a very good story, and its performances are fantastic, whether it's Oldman going over-the-top borderline cartoon or Natalie Portman and just be impressed by what this girl did at 12 years old in, in acting in a movie with, I mean, she, she holds her own, if not outacts everybody else in this movie, and it's her first one. It's just impressive. Uh, so it's totally worth watching. I'm really glad that you got to finally see it. Um, yeah. After however many episodes of your show you weren't able to get it on uh, for or anything like that, you know, I I'm glad that. Yeah, we we're...
0: just yeah we just recorded episode 372. So well, there you go. So. Um, yeah, uh, and honestly, as I was thinking about it just now, we've only done one any part of the Luke Basson universe. And that is the Fifth Element. We did the Fifth Element, and uh, one of my co-hosts hated it. He was bored. He just <laughs> he he didn't like it at all. And I'm sitting here watching it with him, going, "How could you not like this movie? It's ridiculous and over the top. And Chris Chris Tucker is hilarious. And like, uh, but anyway, no, yeah, I'm glad. I, I mean, again, if you're listening to this, thinking, "Oh, I haven't seen it either," you should watch this movie, especially if you like good acting and action.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's got, oh man, this the the cold open and then the the final kind of confrontation in the hotel um, are really well done action sequences too. Um, they've got kind of the right mix of, there's a little bit of humor in there, but it's not like laugh out loud or like, it's not action mixed with humor like say you would see in a Marvel movie today, but there's some kind of chuckle moments that happen. But it's also like, it's just straight up action. And, uh... And that's, that's just, I, I enjoy that. You know, Luc Besson has a style to him, uh, whether it's his writing um, or his directing, because he's got, I mean, he's got his movies that he's directed, but he's also got a lot of stuff that he's written. Um, Taken is one that he wrote. Um, there's Taxi Driver, uh, or Taxi, he, I he guess did, it's called. Um, he
0: did uh, The Transporters, too. Didn't he write or produce The Transporter movies? Or did you did. say that he, while I was...
1: Uh well, Taxi and then the Transporter. Um, uh, Wasabi, which was one that I mentioned, is another one with John Renault Um, that he wrote but didn't direct. Uh, stuff like Kiss of the Dragon, District B thirteen. Um, he writes I a lot. Love Kiss of the Dragon. I, yeah, that was I
0: love Kiss of the Dragon. It's just one of those movies. I saw that movie legit. I saw it twice in the theater. Very um, good. Yeah, it's just one of those that I I, I really like. By the way, I just um. Uh, on Twitter I, I didn't send it to you in discord but in Twitter uh, messages uh, feel free to share that picture uh, out with your um your twitch family sure there but yeah kiss the dragon was great again there's uh, so the only other really John or yeah the the besson movies that I've that I've seen um, I remember I watched Lucy and really hated the ending but I liked it until the last part but it was i really enjoyed most of lucy i liked the idea of it but then it got weird oh he also did valerian which i don't hate because of him Mm -hmm. i hate because of that dane dehan is a terrible (laughs) actor and it's just so poorly cast give me any other male actor
1: I did not see Valerian, so I can't really say. I will say that Luc Besson. If you're going to watch his movies, park your brain at the door because he's definitely not adhering to the laws of our universe. Um, sure. I mean, Lucy is a prime example of that. You know, it it plays on the the trope of we only use ten percent of our brain. It's completely outlandish, but you can have fun with it. That's I think the thing with his movies um, is that the stuff that he writes, uh, you can have fun with Wasabi is a super fun movie. Um, it's kind of ridiculous, but basically Jean Renault is a operative of some kind. I can't remember if he's a hitman or if he's like a government operative, but he had spent time in Japan and he's back in France and then he finds out that he has a daughter in Japan who's like 19 years old and set to inherit some money from her mother or something like that. And he's got to go back and like protect her. So it's completely ridiculous, but it's a super fun movie. Um, and this is one where this particular movie, the professional is it's heavy subject matter in parts. And it's kind of rough. Like there's parts of it that are definitely rough to watch. Um, the, like I said, the, the thing in the hallway with the dad where he's, you know, yes, it's a despicable character. The dad is not really redeemable, but at the same time, he doesn't deserve to go out the way that he did getting shot, you know, that many times just because he Stansfield's jacket got hit. Um, but, uh, park your brain at the door and just enjoy the performances of Jean Renault, Gary Oldman, Natalie Portman and Danny Aiello. Cause I think all four of them just nail it throughout this whole movie. Um, and, and once again, I'm just glad that you finally got to see it and, and that we got to talk about it. I want to say thank you so much for being on. Um, this was tons of fun. Uh, now you have a show, uh, we've mentioned a couple times, cheap seats <clears throat> reviews, let people know about that and where they can find it.
0: Yeah. Cheap seat reviews. Uh, We've been doing this for a little while now, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, CheapSeatReviews.LibSyn.com L-I-B-S-Y-N .com .com is the easiest place you can find. uh, Our website that has links to all of our shows and our other links, like our merch and Twitter and all of our other kind of things that you need to uh, have a podcast for. But yeah, we do kind of this thing, only we don't have the cool idea of watching a movie for the first time, whether it's you or the guest, but... um, yeah, we just review movies. Uh, we just wrapped um, our uh, in November. We're gonna do. We're doing uh, Star Wars, the original, the OG Star Wars, Ooh. and we've been getting a lot of good feedback on that because they're such a beloved film franchise. And it's it's okay to do a podcast where you make fun of the prequels. I think that's kind of expected. But mm-hmm. like when you get critical of the original. You start to get people's hackles, you know, up a little bit. And um, we kind of talk about a lot of the good and some of the bad, so... Um, yeah, Star
1: yeah. Wars is a fandom that you don't want to rile up, uh, for sure. There will be pitchforks yeah. um, and, uh, and torches. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good show, I will say. I was on uh, a while back, and I guess it was October, right?
0: Yeah, we did Doctor Sleep, and... Yep. I, I haven't. I still haven't had a chance to watch, well, chance is the wrong word. I haven't bought the movie and carved out the time to watch the extended version, but right. Doc, Doctor Sleep has become, <coughs> just on the one viewing I watched, is like now in my top 10, maybe top 5 of the horror genre.
1: Yeah. I and, and loved it, it so much. It was so good, and it just makes me want to watch anything Mike Flanagan touched, whether it's Haunting I, a Hill House, Blythe Manor, uh, Midnight Mass, go back and watch Gerald's Game. I would even watch, I think he did Hush, which I'm not a huge, I'm not real big on your kind of home invasion horror movies, like uh, The Strangers and stuff like that, because uh, to me those feel that type Kinda of thing. Real. Yeah, where a family or a person is like trapped in their house and the, the murderer or the killer or whatever is, is stalking them inside the house only um yeah. it does feel like it's too real but yet i want to watch hush just because flanagan was involved and that's enough for me based on what i've seen of his like the guy's just good at what he does so that was that was a great discussion though um so definitely if you get a chance check out cheap seat reviews um the, what was it again it was cheapseatreviews.libsyn cheap seat reviews dot libsyn
0: yeah dot com uh, or you can do Linktree, like if you do Linktree, search for Cheap Seat Reviews, that's also a link with, uh, you know, literally Linktree to get all of our other links.
1: Absolutely. And then on Twitter, it's uh, Cheap Seat. Cheap Seat
0: Cast is, yeah, at Cheap, cheap seat, cast. seat Cast. And then Facebook is facebook.com slash Cheap Seat Reviews. Um, Twitter is where I am the most now. Uh, it's just the most convenient for, for us and... I know. How frankly, it's just been yeah, and frankly, it's been uh, you know being a podcast in there. It's been a very welcoming community.
1: Um, mm-hmm. There's but, a great community of podcasters, um, yeah. and it's it's really nice. Uh, I am also most active on Twitter at TVS Travis, TVS Travis, uh, and I love to talk to anybody about uh, all sorts of topics. So definitely, um, you know, anytime. Sean, this has been great. Thank you for being on. Uh, I had a blast. I had a really good time, uh, talking with you about this movie. And obviously we've talked about movies before that. Um, got to talk to your co-hosts and, and find out some movies from, from them that we can, uh, we can get on here as well. Uh, and you, oh, sure. uh, you are definitely welcome back anytime we can uh, keep working on that list of movies you haven't seen. So,
0: yeah, I have an embarrassingly, embarrassingly <laughs> long list of movies on my list of shame. Um, that I just I get shit for all the time. <laughs> um, it's 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 becoming it's almost becoming a punchline where it's like, wait, you you do a movie podcast and you haven't seen, yeah, like yes, I know, but I, yeah, I just uh, especially when it comes to '80s gangster movies, name it, I didn't see it. Okay, I, well, just I mean, then... I, any of them. I just wasn't into that. I mean, we only did the untouchables because for the podcast because sam put it on the list so i had to
1: well so i can mark untouchables off my list of what i would contact you for but that's fine i can think of something else um but no honestly it's been it's been a, a real fun time thank you for being on uh cheap seat reviews check them out it's good stuff um if you enjoy this show and you want to watch us live. Uh, I do stream the show at Twitch, twitch.tv slash Travis, and you can hang out in the chat room uh, and watch us do the show live. It also is a podcast available wherever you get podcasts, including now Spotify. I finally fixed that. Uh, I just didn't have it on there because I had been lazy and didn't click the button that said, put me on Spotify. So everything's up there now too. Um, So if you do listen to it, uh, whether it is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever, um, if you can leave a review and a rating that helps the show be more discoverable. Um, or you can go to tvstravis.com and that is the place to find, um, the links to all the different places to, uh, to find it because I gave it a name with punctuation and it's hard to search for sometimes. Um, so, but, uh, that is, that is where you can find that. Now next week, uh, I do have, uh, Kit London is coming back and we are going to talk about, she has never seen the silence of the lambs. Oh wow! So I get to introduce her to the wonderful character of Hannibal Lecter.
0: Yeah, and, wow! Uh, what a movie to get introduced to. Cool. Yeah, so
1: that's going to be fun. So that's what's coming up next week, um, and uh, and I'm working on kind of the rest of December to kind of finish out the year. Um, it's going to be fun. So uh, so yeah, uh, that is what is coming up now. Um, Again, uh, what I always like to say at the end of the show is to enjoy your movies. um, And look, the world is weird. Let's just be kind and be excellent to each other, all right? This has been What You Haven't Seen.